Hello and welcome to the No Holes Barb Witchcraft Podcast. Wisdom of the Ancients, Language of the Ancients, Chris. So there's this thing, right? It's called hieroglyphics or some such. Pictographic language, right? Many people think they can read it. Some even think they can pronounce it audibly, right? Are they are, are they able to do that or not? What's your take on modern, ancient Egyptian? Let's just start there. My my issue is unlike unlike Hebrew, um, which actually has you know living descendants that speak this you know version of the archaic. Um, you know, as opposed to the mix of languages that go on in Egyptian, you know, in modern day Egypt that are very, very different to kind of hieratic or, um, or the, um, the hieroglyphics. I, I just, I just feel like <laughs> there's some pretty big assumptions made, shall we say. Um, and bearing in mind, it was a French man that did the decoding. I'm not sure how I feel about it. What you mean? The French cannot be trusted. <laughs> I think they shouldn't be. <laughs> That's just prejudice. What do you mean by there not being any living descendants? Because when I went to Cairo, I went to the Great Pyramid. I went in the Great Pyramid, and I came out of the Great Pyramid, and a man ran up to me, and he said, "You want by pyramid? You want by pyramid?" <laughs> And he had. I will just go and get it, Chris, because it's just here. What, you bought it? He had this. A pyramid carved out of granite, right? (laughs) Do you mean to tell me that that man was not descended from the ancient Egyptians? Because he was having me on, in which case. I didn't say there were no descendants. I just meant the language that is spoken in Egypt, or the many languages, shall we say, that are spoken in Egypt, because it's a very multicultural space. Um, they're not people who actually can read ancient hieroglyphics, because if that was the case, we wouldn't have needed um, Champollion and the other ones that were going on about it at the time to um, decode said hieroglyphics because they'd just ask somebody to read it wouldn't they um so you know it was one of those they've pulled it together we wouldn't have required the bloody rosetta stone would we in an attempt to actually understand what the language was so i'm not saying there are no modern egyptians there are definitely modern egyptians um what i'm saying is the language that they speak is very different to the one that is painted on walls, mainly because it's a ceremonial, um, magical, you know, magical practice that has been somewhat lost to, uh, pardon the pun, the sands of time. Now, I want to do something special, right? Because there's this thing in uh, podcasting and media and such called continuity. Now, obviously, no one can see, apart from you, Chris, my special little pyramid. So what I'm going to do, for those nerds, no holds barred nerds out there, I'm going to place this pyramid, you you can see me do this, on the side of the cunning man's cabinet there. <laughs> and we've got to do Feisty Witches later today. We've got to do Feisty Witches Season 2, uh, something about a witch's power level, I believe is Episode 4. Now, if you want to see the pyramid that I got from Egypt after I'd been to the Great Pyramid by some man, then you can look in the Dicey Witches show because it will be on the cabinet. Brilliant, isn't it? Continuity, Chris, because now people can go back and look at because they will they will have probably seen Fausty Witches because that's live and this is coming out after Fausty Witches, even though it's being recorded before. It's the miracle of modern technology, Chris. It really is. So those that want to see my pyramid, you can uh, go and watch the Feisty Witches show on the 
Foth TV, presumably, is not going to get thrown off of Foth TV again. Well, it depends if you're going to behave yourself, doesn't it, Liam? Just in case, you better go to the Facebook group, either the Witchcraft Live Facebook group or the No Holds Barred Witchcraft Facebook group. So, with uh, hieroglyphics and more complicated, uh, fancy, fancy uber languages, I like to call them uber languages because they're uber complicated <laughs> and symbolic and special and magical, right? There's your sort of language that needs to convey a very clear and precise point that cannot be misconstrued because that would be bad. Those sorts of languages, numbers, maths, all that sort of thing, are really good for really important things that you need to make sure that there's, you know, no getting away with. Okay, so things such as uh, accounts are really, really good for that sort of thing. So you want to make sure that all of your accounts all tally up and that anyone reading those accounts isn't going to be saying, well, I thought that that bird meant something else because it looks so similar to the other one. Right. So with the ideas of bookkeeping, official records are super important or maybe when you want to convey a clear and precise simple message then clear and precise simple forms of language work best however when like you're uniform. trying to convey yes uniforms a brilliant one um i was gonna say binary chris but most people don't speak binary i'm a robot therefore i speak binary beep, beep, beep. yeah <laughs> um but conveying something super complicated that's multi-layered is great when it comes to magical practice occultism and secret societies and like because what you have is you have levels of understanding that are all within one specific language so if we had for example a stella so hieroglyphics and we gave it to someone that's just starting out trying to learn a little bit of hieroglyphics or something like that, they might come up with a basic uh, interpretation of that. Does that mean that that is the only interpretation? No, what there could potentially be is hidden layers beneath. This is what I like about the really ancient forms of, uh, you know, um, language and stuff. I mean, there's some things that are super simple, like symbols, but they convey such a huge amount of different concepts, ideas, and are even actually, Chris, not necessarily languages at all. They're more like gates or doors with, I don't know, WC written on or something like that. Now, WC stands for water closet, but you wouldn't know that necessarily yeah. unless you knew what that symbol was in the context of the situation you're in. An yeah. alien and bear in mind, mind think, WC, what is that? With that one. Know. It's one that's actually then carried across um, because, you know, modern plumbing was a big thing we were really into. Um, that's then transferred across. So, you know, in even in France, like, you know, they will still say WAC. Like, you know, it's still there. It's become a universal symbol for toilet, even yeah. though the words actually mean water closet. Yeah. Yeah. Like the lady with the triangle for a bottom. Hmm. <laughs> She's wearing a dress, Liam. Is that what that's supposed to be? Oh, okay. Yeah. Girls wear dresses, Liam. Oh, not all girls wear dresses, Chris. Wear I dresses. know some boys that wear dresses. Um, so, yes, but they're not real boys, they're girls. Chris, now we're getting <laughs> into political realms that we need, need to stay away from, right? I'm teasing, um, just because you can't resist to say something, you know, politically incorrect if I start you. But no, they kind of, I I like language. Language fascinates me. And I mean even basic kind of, you know, colloquial, I can't even speak now. That's Clicks and whistles. Language one. No, colloquialism. R2-2 language, do you speak astromech? Like I like the fact that in the in the the little country that we're in, which let's face it, compared to a lot of other countries, is tiny. Um, that literally you can go ten miles up the road, 
and someone uses a different word for the word bread roll. Like there are so, you know, it's one we've talked, I've talked about at work so many times over the years as to what, you know, you'll hold a bread roll up at somebody and you go, what do you call this? Um, because it's guaranteed to cause a debate because depending on where everybody's from, they call it something different. So, you yeah. know, for some, it's a barn or a bap. Uh, obviously, Bap's. around here, it's a cob. Daps. Like you put on your feet for PE. PE shoes. Daps. Oh, daps. Those are called pumps, Liam. Pumps. Oh, honestly. Pumps. You don't even know nothing about English or nothing, Chris. <laughs> but yeah, I do agree. England's quite an interesting place. The UK is quite an interesting place because it's been invaded so many times. Lots of different cultures and things. But yeah, I agree with you. England's small. But isn't that why we built a conservatory and a dormer on? We put Scotland up there just to <laughs> add a little bit more room. And then we also extended out, you know, little uh, conservatory on the side to make Wales, you know? Oh, yeah. And then went and collected and annexed all sorts of places all over the world, yeah? Is that what we were well, doing? Well, there's that shed in the bottom we of needed the garden extra that we space. called Northern Ireland, didn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll have offended some people there, but never That's mind. Fine. That was the point. So have you got a favourite language? And if you speak so many languages... What language is it that you think in? Because I often ask people that speak multiple languages, what language is it that you actually think in? Um, I, I think in English, because that's my first language. Mm. Um, it's not been overtaken by others. Um, my favourite language <laughs> is a contentious one now. Is it um, Russian? It's Russian. <laughs> I thought um, it was. But that's just because... I like how direct it is, but but then it's flowery when it needs to be. Um, we're having an interesting conversation at work the other day about um, about German, uh, the German language, right? And kind of like if you took the German out of English, because we get a lot of our nouns from from Germany, means that kind of like the language itself would stop functioning. Mm. Whereas if you were to take the French out of our language, it just removes the floweriness of our language. Like it's oh, all the... Doesn't that the say everything of... you need to know about the EU? <laughs> <laughs> it, takes, it would take out all the nuance, all the... Whereas actually where our, our kind of sarcasm and our dry sense mm. of humour comes from the kind of Germanic parts of it the kind of what people would try and call celtic i guess um that kind of um germanic side that kind of celtic land when those sorts of languages mix with ours mm. so do you think that because this is a contentious subject if you want to progress in magic practical magic that you should like many uh secret societies and witchcraft schools and occult schools and groups and such say go and learn an ancient dead language would you say that that is a very important thing because you look at a lot of them and it's like oh well go and learn a bit of hebrew or, oh no don't learn all of that stuff go and learn german because all the good books are in german that haven't been translated and all that sort of thing are you one of these people that say look don't learn any magic yet don't actually do anything Minus maybe the Lesher Vanishing Ritual and Pentagram. You could do that for a year. But why should you doing that? Learn a language. Are you one of those types, Chris? No, you know I'm not. Um, to me... Chris, come on. Talking, think... about, talking about bucking the trend, I mean, <laughs> why not? I mean, that's the go-to, isn't it? Go and learn a dead language. Go and waste half a lifetime going and doing stuff like that. Surely that's great importance. There'll be people here that are that are crying, thinking that they've spent so many years trying to learn words that they don't understand because they're written in the books and that, and their mentor or teacher or whatever person that's high, higher ranking than they are in the organisation of a cult black lodge that they are trying to get into, told them they've got to go and learn this shit, Chris. And you're saying no. I'm saying, much like the Egyptians, that a picture says a thousand words. 
Um, so why would you learn lots and lots of uh, lots of words that you don't understand and could miss out the nuance on um, when you could just follow the pictures in a book? Um, because let's face it, most people will uh, hide most of their secrets in their drawings. Yeah. Their words, their words are just there to kind of, oh, remember milk. Um, it's, you know, it's that kind of you yeah. write the bits that you're going to forget. Um, the drawing is normally where you'll find all the workings out is normally very well condensed into a beautiful drawing. You know, look at the um, the pentagram or the or the four sided uh, star of David. Like one of my ninth gate and it's got that weird guy in it. His name I can never remember. Um, yeah, I can't remember what his name is. He played Edward Scissorhands and various other things. But anyway, it's about Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny Depp that's it, Johnny Depp. Um, it's about um, a book that the devil supposedly writ or wrote, and it got lost to history. But there somehow they kind of copied it down and made several copies of the devil's book, something along the lines of that. And if you get the devil book and you learn it, it's kind of like a grimoire. You can summon the devil and get superpowers and shit like that. But actually, in the book, there's all of these pictographs, pictures and such. Not too dissimilar from tarot cards I, when I remember looking at it. But they originally thought all of the books were the same, but they're not. Actually, each of the book contains some pictures that are slightly different. Yeah, I won't spoil the film, just in case people want to go away and watch The Ninth Gate. But there are all the, the secret information, the important information is in pictographic form. You know, and can you read the picture or can you not read the picture? Interesting. A lot of people do gravitate towards um, archetypes, archetypal symbolism. I think that's one of the reasons why people love and get on so well with tarot, because he's got a lot of archetypes and stuff that you can really um, gravitate towards and see you know, yeah. uh, represented in your everyday life, no matter what background you're from or even potentially really um century that you're in with other kind of uh what i suppose you could say languages runes and that kind of thing are very much a case of to me it's a case of well now we're not even going to pretend to give you some information you either know what i am or you're not you either know yeah. what i am or you don't whereas with tarot it's like am i this am i that i can be sometimes i'm this sometimes i'm that oh i'm all dressed up i'm gilded this time you know, whereas some other languages and forms that link to energies and such are very much a case of, Ugh, no, you're not worthy. No, you don't. I don't like you. You're not learning it on my secrets. So that's yeah. an interesting point that I don't see discussed. Maybe we should go into that. I was going to say, not that we talk about tools a lot. I guess that kind of is a good little tangent to go on. Because what are you talking about? We're always talking about tools. We're bitching about half of the YouTubers and authors and that. They're out there. They're all tools. You finished being rude. Um, yeah. So the save it for Fausty, Liam. Save it for Fausty. Uh, okay. Um, with the... Uh, yeah, you've made me lose my train of thought. Tools. Um, so the, you know, with, with tarot... Um, there is kind of like there are layers to it so to a certain extent it's kind of like you're dealing with the you know classical sphinx it's a series of questions if you can answer the questions you can get to the the next layer of of information you know it's all hidden in symbols and nuance whereas like you say with the runes it's a case of you're tapping into something um, and if you can't get there or you don't have the password, you're not going to get to the levels that you need, want to get to in order to make runes useful. And I think like with dead languages, because there's so little about them written down, people have got too much room for the, making up their own shit. Um, so, you know, it's become this kind of watered down story, almost like with the hieroglyphics of... Oh, they're just pictures. Um, 
and you just kind of like you just need to decode well like, you know that one it's it's got a birdie on it that looks a bit like a raven oh it must be the r um like you know it's it's it gets watered down into this kind of broken broken idea of it being an alphabet mm. everyone focuses on this alphabet part of it um and with runes that's exactly what happens is people go oh well it's a language it's a written language it it means this um and kind of they go to that kind of their understanding of egyptian hieroglyphs and kind of give it go oh well you know yes it's a letter but it's also got a meaning here's a couple of words that it's associated with and it becomes that kind of word association game rather than what it should be which is you know a ceremonial language um combined in certain ways these things will do shit um and that's the kind of the whole point is they're combined together as concepts in order to do some funky metaphysical shit um which won't happen if you don't have an understanding and you're not given access um you know to kind of jump back and forth between the two um you know i think part of it with the runes is they focus on what bits they have got written down which you know are they you know the edders for example or whatever when they um and they're talking about you know odin having to sacrifice his eye um in order to get access to them suggests that they predate him so wow. and no one ever pays attention to the fact well they clearly predate him yet you seem to keep calling him master of the runes um and your information that you've got is post odin at which point you kind of go in do you yeah. really have a, a, a hope in hell of understanding what he's talking you know what his version his understanding of um and the same's kind of happened to tarot hasn't it where we've got the kind of post golden dawn version um you know tarot for me now describes a methodology as opposed to a language um and depending on who you're taught by or what methodology of tarot you've actually kind of tapped into will depend on what version or how accurate you can be um and we often talk about kind of you know when you get people interested in the egyptian mysteries which we kind of avoid as often as we possibly can don't really and because people have got too much of a a stain of the um oh what do you call him the the wiccan messiah um has kind of tainted the concept with the help of people like robert gray chris uh, throughout history all of the wannabes wanna be magical they will gravitate towards egypt to try and find its mistress and such and very often they don't you have to be in it to win it which basically <laughs> means you have to be there at the time but there we go i won't expand on that certainly not on this side of the watershed we'll have to wait until the patreon <laughs> to go into such sordid details of certain people's pasts and such but there we go we've probably got about five more minutes before we swap over this is the free edition of the narrow Bart witchcraft podcast and we make you pay for the next bit where we discuss like the actual useful magical information because we ain't gonna give that away for free are we so what would you like to discuss because i thought of a lot of the time you've talked about alphabets i say okay interesting alphabet kind of you're talking specifically language reading it and it telling you some information like we read a book a recipe book gives you recipes for how you make food yeah cookbook but what if and i know this is a scary thought what if is not so much that these things are languages to convey information to you by telling you because that's how our language is based that's how we learn and we're too used to that what if they're actually circuits so what if the spell or the magical operation is actually that language? 
because when we go from an into an engineer and particularly things like electrical engineering pneumatical systems that kind of thing we've got all of these different symbols all of a sudden but they're put they all mean something but putting in different orders making different circuits including them all together make some big diagram big circuit diagram or a wiring diagram or something like that now that's not necessarily telling you a story is it or is it i mean if you understand how circuits work you understand electricity or you understand how air works in pneumatic systems it is telling you a story but that story remember is not the story of necessarily go away and copy this what it actually is is that when you go through this door or you take this panel off this is what you're going to find and i'm not seeing a lot of people are, uh, approaching uh, hieroglyphics carved on uh, sarcophagus coffins temple walls anything like this as a People are reading it as, a, oh, look, here's a story. It's a nice story. Like when you go down to, uh, I don't know, the shopping centre or something like that, and it says, oh, hello and welcome to Cabot Circus. This is where you'll find this shops, the food courts, that way. I'm not seeing that. What I'm actually seeing more is wiring diagrams. And this is how the system works, you see. Because on a, a physical level and on a multidimensional level, we need to separate things out multiple levels now on a physical level if you're wanting lots of magical things going on on multiple other levels you might be tying that with an anchor to the physical world does that does that mean you need to construct some kind of three-dimensional object for that or can you simply just carve the diagram can you carve the symbol can you carve that anchor into something can you draw it down on a piece of paper this is what i'm not seeing I'm seeing that, and some people get confused with sigil magic and stuff like that, saying, well, I can't, I can't tap into that or I don't like it. And yet they'll go away and they'll do a, a spell that involves candles and ceremonies and stuff like that. And you're kind of thinking, well, you're doing the physical stuff, but you don't have to do that physical stuff. Just if you're trying to tie it to the physical world, doing a little bit down here and a little bit elsewhere, that's fine. But technically you could just write it down or you could just draw it or you can do all sorts of things tied to the physical world, to do the physical parts. But people don't necessarily think that. When I see, oh look, here's some hieroglyphics, temple wall. People will think hieroglyphics on a temple wall. I think, oh door, look, there's a door there. I'll go through that. Can't step through it in the physical plane, but I sure as shit can in the astral plane. But there we go. You've got two or three minutes. Do you agree, disagree? Or have I gone too far, Chris? I don't think you've gone too far. I think people need to think more about why do we write things down? Um, and in what context are we putting them down? Because when it comes to something like religious writing on a wall, you know, that's not, that's not simply, um, you know, a shopping list you're talking about someone has gone into the extent of actually carving this into stone so mm -hmm. you know obviously if you look at the um archaeological world they will automatically go to oh they they carved it into the wall it must be something to do with ritual uh because that's their go-to that's mm -hmm. their their understanding is oh well it must be ritualistic it must be religious it must be something to do with their belief system um Whereas actually, these uh, a lot of what we're talking about there are tombs. So what are you needing in a tomb when you put the context of eternal life on top of that? Or at least that's what they assume based on the fact that Egyptology started with the Victorians. So they were yeah. all about, let's get, let's get eternal life. Um, so the assumption, therefore, is that all these tombs must have something to do with getting to heaven um, or the Egyptians barbaric version of heaven, um, you know, and therefore you're then applying that context. At that point, you should then know what is required. Either everything in that space is there, as like Liam says, part of the machine in mm. order to get you to paradise um, or it's something different. Has that person got to remember something? 
And that's it for this edition of the Nail Force Bar Witchcraft Podcast. When is a tomb not a tomb? Well, to find out the answer, you'll have to join the Thoth Witchcraft Patreon. Go and do it now. Come on, I know you want to. Right, Chris, when is an Egyptian tomb not an Egyptian tomb? When it's a toaster. No, that's incorrect. <laughs> Why would it be a fucking toaster? I'll tell you the answer. I made it up just now, and I actually think it's quite clever, because you'll get it. I doubt any of our other viewers or listeners will. But when is an Egyptian tomb not an Egyptian tomb? The answer is when it's featured in a John Anthony West documentary, because then it's all with some sort of alien machine, isn't it? <laughs> I did wonder how you were going to get aliens into that. I thought you were going to, but I wasn't quite sure how. <laughs> I'm quite proud of that when I made that up myself. Good, Good. well done. Give yourself but a pat on the back, Liam. Following the lines of this, I'm quite, I don't like gardening, as you know, but I do like watching those garden design programmes. So whether it's the low budget ones with Charlie Dimmerkin, or whether it's the higher budget ones with all the virtual reality stuff in, mm. I quite like them. And on these garden programmes, I see a common theme, which is, uh, oh, we went on holiday and we quite liked this. And then the garden designer says, well, with this type of garden, this is a Moroccan garden and you need this. And it's often they will have this or in this Japanese garden, then they not they have this little bridge, this little uh, foray, journey into tranquility, all this, that and the other. It's basically bastardization of other cultures. Now, I don't have a problem with bastardization of other cultures um, because that's to a certain extent how we learn, you know, if you're going to try and... Uh, think of magic as technology, technological magic in that, and you want to, like we've talked about the old dream catchers before, I think I like that idea, I'm going to try and use that myself, I'm going to do some magical experiments. I'm not saying that it's a good idea to go away and create an Etsy shop and pretend you're Native American and sell Native American quote-unquote dream catchers, I'm not talking about that, that is a stupid and abominable practice. What I'm talking about is seeing something that someone else is doing that you don't fully understand, and attempting to understand it by reverse engineering it, right? Which is something that you'll have to get used to going down a magical path, because unfortunately, people keep their magical occult secrets to themselves. And you generally have to jump through left hoops if you reverse engineer it versus dedicating yourself to some specific tribe or organization or whatever for 50 odd years before you get to the good stuff in the 89th degree or whatever. So here's my question, Mr. Chris. If someone sees uh, hieroglyphics, they're designed to do something, for example, in a um, tomb or something like that, and they think, I quite like that, I'm gonna do the same thing. And they commission someone to make a replica of that for their own tomb. Will it work? Will it not work? Interesting. Um, it's a tricky one because the natural answer would be no, because you'd have missed out too many points. So it depends on who's creating the replica. Is it someone that actually was an Egyptian priest and actually remembers how to do it um, and actually understands the actual function of one? Then mm. perhaps. Um, but generally speaking, if all you did was an artistic replica, then no. Um if it just so happens that the person who owns the original tomb that you've just ripped off is aware, um, then you may be a slave for the next however many <laughs> thousand years. But that's entirely up to you if you want to take that risk. Um, because Ultimately. there's no reason why they couldn't allow you access, but in what capacity you would have given access would be very different. Ultimately, we have to think about what this machine I think of it in terms of machine magical technology and what have you what it does and how it works because there's this certain tribe that I think I can't remember I think it's the one that lives on an island that worships Prince Charles have you ever heard of those there's mm -hmm. an actual tribe that worship Prince Charles Prince of Wales um, and they I think it's the same tribe I could be wrong there is I know there's a tribe that does this and there's also a tribe that Worship Prince Charles thinking that he's an incarnate god. 
Um, but there's this tribe that build these little towers and they have torches and they do these torch dances. And what they do is they worship airplanes because they've seen airplanes and they've built a runway and they've built torches and they do all of these dances and stuff like that, hoping that a plane will land. Now, obviously, what they may have seen is they may have seen that in an actual airport. But obviously what they're not understanding is that their specific holy site isn't actually an airport and that no fucking plane flies there. So they're mirroring the physical world stuff as best they can, but all of the other world connections, in which case it's, you know, politics, flight paths, science, all of that kind of thing, the aeronautical industry, all of that sort of stuff, that's left out, right? And when I'm seeing people copy certain technologies or try to utilise certain symbols even, certain hieroglyphics, certain things, they're missing out a big proportion. And that proportion is the part that actually makes the whole fucking thing work in the first place. Now, some people will be aware of certain types, and I emphasise types because not all sigil magics works the same way. Certain types of sigil magic revolves around attention, you know, and you want to put that out. For example, if you made a corporate logo that was actually a sigil that drew, it, drew in the energy of the person that looked at it to power some kind of spell or pushed out to everyone that looks at it some kind of message or idea, you know, that magical technology symbolism works in a very specific way, but not all of this kind of iconography, sigils, icons, symbols, hieroglyphics, all of that sort of thing. Not all of it is necessarily working in the same way. Just because you've looked at one circuit and understand it does not mean you'll be able to read and understand every other circuit in the entire universe. Would you agree with that, Chris? Um, I'm not going to lie, very distracted by the fact... You weren't paying attention, was you? ...that I was Googling the island that worshipped Prince Philip. Um, it's either Prince Philip or Prince Charles. I always get the two mixed up because both of them are old. One of them's dead now, isn't he? Yeah, it's, it's, a, li it's a little island um, called Tanna. Okay. And the people basically believe that England and their island were once one. Ah. Even though they're miles and miles apart from each other, um, that they were one. What the Pangea thing? Um, and there, and therefore, um, Prince Philip was the son of their volcano god, who was came to England to help us. Oh. And now, and now he's dead. His spirit will return to the island. This is fascinating because this is, um, you know, tribal culture that people would think is stuck in one time and never changes, adapting and incorporating mm. um, other things as it touches other cultures and such. Quite interesting. But no, but I'm sorry. not going to repeat the question. Ask, we'll have ask to me move the question. On. <laughs> no, fuck that. You've had your chance. We're moving on now. <laughs> so this is uh, called Language of the Ancient. Okay, now you've let a certain doozy go before, which some people picked up on. I think the majority of people didn't pick up on, but I'd like you to explain yourself or at least just recover it a little bit for the people that don't think along these lines. And you've said before that language has evolved and the language was created so that we can hide our intentions and hide <laughs> things from other yes. people. Because most people think language is about actually all speaking the same language and making it easier to communicate with each other. But actually, you take the opposite approach. You take it as now language has evolved and was created to hide your intention from other people. Justify that, Mr. Chris. Justify it. Well, one, I don't think I have to. If you're... <laughs> if you... <laughs> If you're smart enough, you should understand exactly what I'm talking about, which is the language 
is there and you think how many different languages there are across the world mm. if language was designed to bring us all together as a community then we would all understand each other and we'd all speak one language um but actually what we're talking about is that as communities have grown in different places uh, obviously you know <laughs> the world wasn't designed in this way where we all started in the cradle of life and we all moved outwards um there are um you know language is one of the proofs that that isn't true um however what does bring them all together is universal symbol mm. so the fact that we use the same symbols across the world in order to convey certain concepts suggests that actually there is a shared consciousness so when you say there's a shared consciousness but then we all speak different languages suggests that we have to lie to one another and that is the design and the purpose of language um obviously that upsets people who think language is proof that we are superior because obviously that's where it often comes from um and which is what i reject personally is the fact that i still think the trees who don't speak at all and the animals who speak but don't actually talk um to each other are far more intelligent and far more um in line with with nature as a whole um and the and actually give a shit about the ecosystem um when you think comparatively we aren't we don't fit that bill yes we've learned to use tools but tools were designed in order to us in order for us to assert dominance on the world and language was designed so we could lie to each other so that individuals could become more powerful than others so i don't know because even to the point of the whole bringing it back to ancient languages and the need for certain occultist groups to feel the need to use ancient languages is about superiority and is about elitism in the sense that oh well we all speak greek because we've all come from um boarding schools english de derived boarding schools that allow us to all circle jerk with the ancient latin that we could afford to be uh, ancient latin and greek that we were able to be taught growing up um so there's a little part of that that probably sounds bitter um that's because i didn't have those opportunities and i love ancient languages um is that kind of part you know that aside language is there to to allow us to deceive and to lie to one another because if we actually spent more time in that collective consciousness we'd have to actually own up to the feelings and the thoughts that we have our good question friends will remember from sunday school that the uh, all-knowing all-powerful loving god the yahweh who is the best and brightest of everything because he is everything right and does not suffer from little man syndrome in any way shape or form of course got rather upset about people building a certain tower right mm -hmm. to come and see him because he didn't want him popping in for a cup of tea he wanted to see him on his terms right a bit like me with my family i want to see him on my terms i don't want them knocking on my door and visiting randomly i schedule them in when i have to so that they're aware I don't die. Anyway, Yahweh, a little bit similar. Got a little upset that certain people were building towers and such. And he punished them. He punished them for trying to be like God by separating them all out, apparently, and giving them all different languages so they'd make it more difficult to talk to each other. And that's one of my favorite Bible stories. I didn't say okay. exactly how the Bible says that. I said it in my own, the Liam translation of the Bible. I love to work on a Liam translation of the Bible, but if I'm honest with you, I just could not be bothered to sit there and go through all of that. I could do a Liam translation of common stories. That would make a fascinating <laughs> podcast series. But there we go. 
So this idea isn't just, it's shared, I think, by a number of different people, a number of different cultures and stuff like that. One thing that I would say, um, that I would imagine the Dawkinses and such would talk about, because they would talk about languages and evolution of attempting to be more and more and more clever with the ways that we talk to each other and interact with each other, is that on this tiny little rock we call Earth, the Oit, yeah, we all have one sun, we have a moon, we have similar bodies, everyone's body is slightly different, I know, but they're similar. If you've got a bunch of aliens or something like that that came from a planet far, far away, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> and they had two suns or something, or a, a bunch of moons, I wonder if it was just, say, that they had two suns and three moons, yeah, how much different the culture and the language in that. So say they were human and all that sort of thing, how much difference would the language have changed and the culture had changed? Because when you think of your associations with gods, goddesses, that kind of thing, you'd have, you know, two suns, three moons, all of that. How would that change? How would that display the language? How would that have an effect mm. on the calendar? All of these things are fascinating. But this is a small little ecosystem. We think of the Earth as quite big, but actually it's quite small. It's basically like at one of the smaller aquariums that you go and get from pets at home. Um, <laughs> And we haven't really dabbled all that much with bigger ecosystems, aside from, or the everyday people, aside from sci-fi and such. But even on the sci-fi, I still find it very strange that when you can go to the Delta Quadrant, everyone speaks English. You know, I know there's <laughs> such a thing as a universal translator, but still, you'd have thought that there'd be some kind of thing that a universal translator couldn't talk about. And why are they all somewhat humanoid looking, eh? Explain that. I don't get that. How come there isn't like ones made out of jelly or something like that, you know? A giant mushroom planet. That would be cool. I remember there when there was a giant mushroom planet here. That was fascinating. Loved it. They have mushrooms bigger than trees, they did. <laughs> now I'm showing me age. Sound like old granny. Back in my day, this were all fields, it were. <laughs> like, all right, gran, we now. During the war and all that. Anyway, where are we going now? Because I don't think I offered you a question. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. But to kind of go with that, because so much of so much of our world is built upon our understanding of cosmology. Um and we spend so much of our time, obviously I say we in terms of humanity. Um, oh, you're, you're feeling out. like one of us now, are you? Um, you must I'm not. You must be having a deflated ego day or something. And <laughs> <laughs> someone let some air out of your balloon. <laughs> <laughs> it's my self-harm punishment day. Ah, right. You know, like leg day. Ah, yes, leg day. It's le when I start feeling human, that's leg day for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel it for weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, and keep constantly thinking, why have I put myself through this shit? Um, when all I do is hurt. Um, so, yeah, when I'm talking from that point of view, I'm talking about humanity as a whole rather than us as witches. That's what I was trying to make the distinction, Liam. Um, yeah. Is that we look up at the sky and we use that, the place in the sky in order to put ourselves in our place you know time passes by the observation of the cosmos uh, of the cosmos which is why so much of our language is built by it and like you say if we had three moons um and two suns would we suddenly have the same understanding of duality that we seem to have and seem to you know too many cultures are obsessed with about polarities, etc., is built by that fact, you know, we see a sun during the day and we see a moon during the night. Um, you know, maybe the still night and day would still be there, but what would be the significance of the numbers of the foreign bodies we can see in the night sky? Obviously, the classical, uh, seven classical planets come from them being visible at night. 
we didn't have all this light pollution that allowed you to distinguish these um, classical planets, the classical seven, um, you know, and that has coloured our entire understanding of magical world, let alone anything else. Even the mathematics is ruined by the number seven. Um, so, you know, kind of like it, it's it's a big part to think about. Um, and to kind of draw it back to the ancient Egyptians, you know, their understanding of cosmology is what gives birth to their understanding of their magical system. So, you know, um, yeah, gives lots of food for thought. I can see why those ceremonial magicians are always sat reading all the time. There's uh, so much to consider. Yeah. Not very practical, though. Right. So we've often set tasks before for the mentees, the people that we mentor on that through the Thoth Witchcraft Patreon. Um, we say, here you go, here's the microglyphics, go and suss it out, then open it up and just leave them to it. And I've always been surprised by how well people actually do it, because it's quite a big thing, isn't it, to take something that's quite complicated. It's not like just one picture or one symbol or something like that. It's actually hieroglyphics that they can't read, don't understand. And yet they're able to get something integral from the hieroglyphics, not understanding the story, not even understanding the context, or whether they're even real hieroglyphics or not, you know? Um, what's interesting is that, that they tend to be drawn to a specific symbol or set of symbols, little cluster, and that a lot of the rest of it fades into the background. Mm. Now, I've often seen this a little bit in tarot as well, where you've got a spread, for example, and then you zoom in on one part. That's the only bit that you're really drawn to. But of course, all of the other cards around the outside in other slots and places in the spread, they add to it. They just give a little bit of a little something, a little bit of a flair, a little bit of extra information. But the core energy is in one area, one place. And a lot of people would think, oh, well, it's obviously it's a big um, symbol or something in the middle. But it's not always like that, is it? It can be a lot more subtle than that. Because one of the interesting things about hieroglyphics, uh, or Egyptian hieroglyphics particularly, is that you start off when you're creating them, you start off with the size, the object, the thing, and you condense as best you can in that. So there's a lot of abbreviation that goes into it. If you're assigned a specific area to work with on, a figurine or something you don't say i need a little bit more room please what you say is this is what i have i will work with that area we don't necessarily have that in our forms of language with letters and everything like that we can abbreviate things to a certain extent but it often works in still a very linear form so with that we have abbreviations of words but actually, this is a lot more complicated because you can read a lot of hieroglyphics and symbols in multiple different rows. It's a lot like those um, uh, puzzles and stuff like that, whether it's Sudoku puzzles or whether it's those ones which you can read it one way and then you can read it another way. You see this also in occultism within magic squares and stuff like that. That's all quite fascinating. So is there any homeworks that spring to mind? That you thought, oh, that was a good one. I'm glad I set that, or oh, maybe I shouldn't have set that. That wasn't such a good idea, or anything like that. And do you have a task for anyone that may be listening that wants to go away and fuck about with some kind of ancient language or something that's a beginner? Um, I suppose what comes to mind is it through our kind of scratch testing hmm. with cosmology. Um, is I think works really well with us because I think most people that kind of gravitate towards us don't tend to be ceremonial magicians. Um, we get the odd one, but the majority of them are kind of those kind of natural witches who are kind of like of the only kind of understanding they've got of those things is kind of astrology based, like it's yeah. zodiac based. Um, which, you know, 
we learned very quickly that my approach in the old days would have been zodiac based mm. uh, in order to kind of get that shared language um and i think through working with the amount that we've worked with now uh together in our format um has really shown me how complicated that methodology is mm. um and actually how complex that is and i can understand why people struggle with it um because again like with the ancient languages it's oversimplifying a system to try and give it basic associations um so something as complex as a zodiac system um to then try and be whittled down into polarities or something like that is really quite complex um so kind of getting when we work with the kind of seven classical planets with people or the elements or whatever um i think we really do get something out of them it kind of would be cool um if to a certain extent students before they met us had actually done some of this mm. um to the point that when we got hold of them we could then just kind of go straight to the scratch test rather than necessarily having to walk them through that shared language first um so i suppose anybody that's kind of looking for a small project um to kind of push their meant the you know their um psychic capacity for their understanding i think the kind of um meditating or you know or sig you know in that kind of sigil magic way of putting that sigil into your brain either first thing in the morning or last thing at night and monitoring what what is different about those days of the week that they are classically assigned and just actually starting to play with that even if you're not brave enough to come and speak to us yet that you can kind of have that do you notice those things do you ever think in a planetary way um or is that concept completely alien to you because i think that's quite interesting and you could do it with the zodiac system if you really liked um i think that takes longer um and can be harder to discern the differences um whereas i think you know meditating on luna on a monday has that kind of natural flow to it um that actually when you start to look at that week in that way what is different on those days how do you respond to them because obviously we use it in a scratch testing way to try and find out where your strengths and weaknesses are uh, magically speaking um and i think that gives a lot of thought that could be spent months and months working on it um whereas we tend to kind of crash course people through it um in order to get them ready quick enough and see progress yeah whereas if they'd kind of had a couple of months to kind of figure that out for themselves before they met us maybe the jump wouldn't be so high for them i don't know i'm just spitballing there uh, it's difficult i mean with one-to-one -one talking to people then there are people that have literally been struggling for years with the same problem the same thing and we'll speak to someone in about 10 minutes we'll have managed to get them over that because they just need someone to explain it in a different way or give them the bit that they're missing and there's a lot of resources out there and yet people still get stuck with things whether it's the super beginner stuff or whether it's the more advanced stuff and I think that's always the problem that the ancients and stuff didn't need to deal with. You always had a mentor or someone that was teaching you and that speeds things up considerably. We've tried writing, we've tried putting out videos, courses, all sorts of stuff. And still there's niggly sticking points that people don't get because it's a dead thing. It is just a video might be better than a book, for example, because you're watching someone talk and show someone but it's still it's so difficult i don't know what form that would take in terms of the scratch test testing 
but what could be an interesting project maybe for one of the witch wars or something like that is if we create some hieroglyphics and get people to decode it so we'll have to see whether that becomes an actual um witch wars or not but i can't wait to say because i've already thought of a cool name for it <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get over Witch War Six where they're all making millions and being rich. But there we go. That's it for this edition of the No Holds Bar Witchcraft Podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye for another week. Remember next week will be episode ninety-nine, which will see the return of one of our previous guests. Ooh, who will it be? I don't know. We shall see. Bye everyone.